Well, I have the, uh, the honor of being a pastor at a church. I get the honor to do a lot of weddings. And so I get to officiate a number of weddings. And I've never tried this, but I was thinking about it this week. I've yet to really have anyone at a wedding ceremony. Like when the, when the bride is walking down the aisle when she first comes out, I've never looked over at the husband and been like, hey, dude, now, are you sure you want to do this? Right? I know movies make that happen, but like, I've never looked at him and been like, well, you know, there's some, there's some pretty big shortcomings in her, right? Like, you know, like you've, you've really struggled in the past with this area. She seems to be somewhat selfish in this, or she struggles in this area. And like, I think if I had said that, first off, it probably wouldn't end well. But either way, um, I'm pretty confident that there is not a single thing that I could say to that husband to be that would deter him from the seeming perfection his bride has at that moment. In this, in this moment, as she's walking up the aisle, she's coming and making her way this way to, the, to, to, to stand up together with him. He's looking at her, and he's like, there is not a single thing wrong with her. He is confident in that moment that this is the woman I'm going to marry for the rest of my life. In fact, dare I say it, he may even say she's perfect. Now, for those of us that have been married for, you know, past the honeymoon, I'm pretty sure that I don't have to convince you of the shortcomings of your wife, right? Like, it's pretty easy for most of us to say, okay, and look, let me, let me say this very clearly. Marriage is an absolutely beautiful thing created by God for very, very specific purposes, and we'll talk about those in actually two weeks. But, but either way, my, my point is this, is that, that reality sets, and pretty soon you realize you married a person that has sinful tendencies, and you married a person that, that at, at that moment, in fact, let me just say it this way. Most of the weddings I do, I usually end up meeting with a couple afterwards where they start talking about all those things that they had struggled with on the front end. Well, I really thought that she would have been this way. I really expected this, or I'd hoped for that. In that moment, I almost reverse roles, and pretty soon I'm not trying to convince them that there's a problem in their wife, but convince them of, of the marriage union that they've made, the covenantal relationship that they've stepped into. And so what's really, really interesting about that is that most of us would say that. Now, husbands, I'm going to speak specifically to you because last week we spoke specifically with Debbie to two wives in the scripture we're in right now. Husbands, my bet is right now, let me just show of hands, put your hand up if you feel like you are loving your, and leading your wife absolutely perfectly. The reality is, is, it, is, is, is it, let me say it this way, even if we felt like we were doing a fairly God-honoring job in this, we wouldn't raise our hands to that because of our own insecurities. Because we know that, well, she's seen me at my worst. She's seen me really, really messed up. In fact, maybe you've really, really messed up in the last week. And so we, we're in this really, really, really interesting section of Scripture where, where the Apostle Paul spent the entire first three chapters of Ephesians reminding us of who we are in Christ and our identity and what that means for us, right? And then the last three chapters have gotten super practical, but then now God, or now the Apostle Paul is, is speaking into these family roles. And I said it this way last week. I said when we, there are so many implications because when improperly ordered family relationships, they hinder the work of the Spirit in the community. They hinder His work. When, when, when it's improperly ordered, when the roles get out of the way, we, we, we miss what happens. The, Danny two weeks ago talked about what submission is. Our definition is submission is joyfully and willingly and humbly trusting Christ with my life and perceived rights, seeking to live under his rule and those who are in leadership under him. And so we see in Ephesians 5, 21, that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the way that that happens was last week that, that wives are to submit to their husbands as head. And the role in which we do that this week is actually what we're going to talk about, what husband's role is in that submission to Christ 
in that submission out of reverence, out of fear and awe of who Christ is, we now as husbands have a specific role to play. And so that's where we're going to be today. If we're going to be the heads that our wives are commanded to submit to, then we really have to understand how do, we, how do we play this role? How do we live in this role? How do we be this role? Especially when, let me, let me just say it this way, especially when the climate of marriage is, is just horrific right now. It is, it is attacked at all fronts, within and, with, and outside the church. The, 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 the struggles that everyone's going to have, the, the, the weaknesses that people show in their marriages, just, it just oozes. In fact, most of you right now, in fact, let's just do this. Show of hands, how many have come from parents that were divorced? Raise your hand. Your parents were divorced. Okay, look at that. Lots of, lots of families, right? And then if I were to ask, how many, of you, how many of you know broken marriages? Or how many of you experienced infidelity? Or how many of you seen the marriage just dissipate and fall apart? Even, in fact, if I were to say, how many of you have parents that are still married, but you don't think that they really like each other at all? The amount of hands that would be up would be staggering. So here's, here's the question. If the bride is perfect on the day of the wedding, how are we then to love that bride for the rest of our lives? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, verse 24 is where, or 25 is where we're going to pick up. And this is, this is, again, this is a continuation of what 521 is. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. It, it, this is a continuation of, of 521, but specifically just before 21, we realized, we understood that, that God has said that we are, or the Apostle Paul has said that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So a, a, a willingness and understanding of what filling with the Holy Spirit plays out in these roles. So we have to go back and understand that we're not going to live inside of these roles if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not filled with his power and what he can do for us. So verse 25 on. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now isn't it interesting that the beginning of this doesn't command husbands as the head of your wife really, really work out that authority. That's not the command that starts there. Isn't that interesting? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't start there. It says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are all members of his body. And so the Apostle Paul goes into this section, and, and the command that he gives us is, is, actually, is actually that you are to love your wife. He doesn't say lead them, although, again, we have to understand this specifically in conjunction or with along the lines of what the, the wives were told. They were told to submit to us as heads, as husbands as heads. So we know that there is a leadership principle in here. There's leadership happening. And now what that looks like and how that plays out isn't really what is concern of, of the Apostle Paul initially, it seems. What he does instead is he comes at us with a, a totally different thing. He says, okay, okay, Brian, you're a husband now. You're going you're gonna to love Jen, and this is how you're going to do it. Just like Christ loved the church. Just like, which, which most of us could go, okay, well, that, that makes sense. Christ sacrificed himself for, his, for the church, so he died for the church. So, so maybe some of us macho guys are like, I would take a bullet for you, honey. Right? Like you get all like, kind of like, yeah, I'll die for you. This, this is not just a physical of, I'm, I mean, some husbands may have to at some point come to that, but that's not really the big point of this. It's, it's denying yourself. 
It's, it's, it's dying completely to your own selfish gain for the sake of your wife. It's giving up. And then he goes into this beautiful section about cleansing her and, and, and making her this and cherishing her and nourishing. And it's, it's this whole picture that goes all the way back to Ezekiel 16 where it's God talking about what he's going to do with his people. He's going to, he's going to bathe them. He's going to cleanse them in, in the water. And he's going to cleanse them how? Through the gospel, through the word of God. And he's going to commit to sanctifying them and work through them. And, and when they're presented on their wedding day, they will truly be perfect, which is in a future coming. And so he has this, this, this picture where the Apostle Paul lines out what husbands are to do with their wives, with God, and how he's, he's, he's worked with his people, with his children. So I don't know about you. As, as a husband, it's almost easy for me to go, well, that ain't going to happen. All right, so what else should I work on? Because the expectations, the bar is so high. How am I to truly die to myself on a daily basis? Well, let me, let me just say this this way. Remember when I talked about the picture of the wedding day? Some of you right now, I want you to go back, like your wife-to-be walked out, and you just, you're smiling. I always love looking at the groom at that moment because it's just like, you know, ear-to-ear grin. Some cry if they're real men. And, they, um, <laughs> and, and it's this beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, when, when Jesus steps into relationship with us, we're not spotless. In fact, Jesus commits to be married to us when we're at our absolute ugliest. We are sinful. We are idolaters. We love everything else but him. And that's the moment. That's the, the taggered, blood-stained, sin-riddled person that Jesus says, you're mine. You're mine. And this picture that we get right here in, in what the Apostle Paul is saying, what Jesus does for the church, is our future hope in his second coming. He's saying, I love you. You're mine. And at your worst, in fact, it wouldn't be hard. If Jesus was standing up here and I was officiating a wedding, which would be really weird, right? Okay, so I would stand up. I'd go over and be like, are you sure you want to marry it? Wouldn't be hard for me to say, I mean, look. Like, look, are you sure? Like, there's nothing really great about that. But there was no convincing him otherwise. Jesus willingly died to himself, willingly walked to the cross. It wasn't taken from him. He submitted himself to the Father's will, and he walked to that cross willingly, hung on it, and was, was, was destroyed for you and me, for his church. That's, that's, the, that's the posture of Jesus at his wedding day. And so we have these two polar opposites, us with our seemingly perfect brides, Jesus with us, absolutely horrifically idolatrous sinful people and what does jesus say jesus has every right to say you know what i hope it gets better i mean i'm 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 marrying you some of you will do this you'll marry someone thinking you can change them into something better that's either way like there's i don't have time for that but but (laughs) jesus literally marries this person saying "No, no no you will be spotless holy and blameless without wrinkle you will be absolutely perfect i will sanctify you I will, I will love you and lead you in a way that will draw out of you ways in which you're not even capable of doing because in the end, you're going to look perfect. And in the second coming, you'll be presented to me as, your, as the bridegroom and I'll be able to stand here and say, here is my bride in confidence knowing that she is perfect. Well, that's the expectation for us as husbands is we are to lead our wives this way. The model is self-sacrificing. 
the, the goal, with the pattern, the goal. The, the pattern is, is we're going to sanctify and make holy. And the goal is that ultimately that we can be presented as holy and blameless and spotless and without wrinkle. Again, this is such a beautiful imagery of what happens in Ezekiel 16 where God says he bathes us and clothes us and wipes the blood off from us and, and, and redeems us and, and presents us as holy, as perfect, without blemish. It's almost, one scholar says it this way, Christ gave himself to the church to make her holy by cleansing her. This cleansing was affected by a spiritual washing brought about through God's, through Christ's gracious word in the gospel. His love for the church is the model for husbands in its purpose and goal as well as in its self-sacrifice. In the light of Christ's complete giving of himself to make the church holy and cleanse her, husbands should be utterly committed to the total well-being, especially the well, spiritual welfare of their wives. So as husbands, we are, we, are, we are enamored with how our wife's spiritual climate is. As husbands, we don't, we don't give into that. We don't just let them go, well, you know what? They've been following the Lord a little bit longer, so they're just really smart. We don't, we don't get intimidated by that. Instead, that, that, that compels us to go deeper into God's word, not to be smarter than them, but to continue to push them and our marriage and our union to be more like Christ. But when I talk about this and I see this, and he, he goes on, it's almost like he, he seems to, to generate the conversation when he goes back to saying, well, you, you love them like you love your own body, right? He goes in this weird section where in verse 28 and 29, he's like, look, like we're going we're gonna to make this argument. Well, love your wife because obviously you'd love your own body, which again, I get there are some people that don't love their body. There are some people that treat their body absolutely horribly. That's not, that's not what he's talking about here. What he's saying is, is the well-being of your body. You want oxygen. You, you, you desire food. You want nutrition. <laughs> you want to be nourished. You want your body to be cherished. In fact, some of you, you probably love your body more than you should, actually. You love your body more than your wife. But the reality is he's saying this, this is a, an image again, like we said last week, where Christ is the head of the church, the body is us, the church. The individuals made up together in the church. And so he's saying, obviously, Christ would take care of the body. If you have a, an open wound, you're going to take care of that open wound. If you have sanity in you. And so he makes, again, another reason. Here's, just, just, just in case you're wondering, now, self-sacrifice and, and, and die to yourself and, and sanctify and cleanse, and, and this is your role. But just, just in case you're really wanting to get another reason, go at it selfishly. You'd take care of your own body, wouldn't you? We'll do the same for your wife. You would take care of everything that was struggling in you. You, you, you would help yourself if you needed to. We ought to cherish and nourish our wives. And so as I, as I thought about this, I started thinking, okay, what, what specifically do we as husbands need? And here, here's the reality. I think that there are a number of ways that this goes wrong, and we're going to talk about those here. But again, we, ha- we have to remember that this, this, only begins, this only begins with us as husbands recognizing that first we are to submit to Christ. You, you've got to hear this. If Christ is not your Lord, not just your Savior, if he's not your supreme controller, if you haven't stepped off the throne of your own life, you are going to fail miserably at loving your wife the way God calls you to do so. It never is going to happen without Christ being the Lord of your life. You have to understand that. Having a good marriage where the wife is submissive and the husband is leading means first embracing this journey. See, what's interesting is a lot of people and a lot of couples when I marry them, they they think about all the the ways it could have gone differently. If I'd have just done this, if I wouldn't have said yes, if I would have just, and all these like this, wow, it's just so much harder now or everything's in place. You're not embracing the journey. You know what Jesus commits to with that ugly, nasty bride is a journey. What his commitment is to you and I as the church isn't a figure it out or I'm not doing this anymore. It's a, no, no, okay, okay, let's walk through this. 
Let me lead this. This is some divine journey that we are on in sanctification. Husband being commanded to love his wife like Christ loved the church. This is an amazing opportunity for us as husbands to see our sanctification come about. Being married is an absolutely profound and beautiful opportunity for, for, for husbands to understand how Jesus is going to make them look more like him. And so we have to, we have to see this as a journey. In fact, when he says love, it's, it's interesting. The command is, it is love. In fact, when it goes down, it says ought. The word ought there is actually more like a, a direct, like you're going to do this. You ought to love your wife like you love your own body. body. This, is, this is not an assumption. This isn't like, well, you know, good luck. Figure it out. But the reality is, is that most of us fail miserably at this. In fact, one of the things I do at weddings is 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love is. Everyone wants to have that one at their wedding, which is interesting because it's actually not a very good exhaustive list of what love is. Because you know what's, what's void in this section is the whole sacrificial die to yourself love that comes through Jesus Christ. What, what the Apostle Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians is, is, is actually working at the issues that were happening as the church. They were selfish and they weren't, they weren't, re, they weren't relationally healthy. There's all these big issues. You just look back through like a, a Corinthians 9 through 12, you realize the context for 13, the love is. And he's saying, you guys are, you guys are all over, you missed it. But here, let's just, let me just lay out this list for us here. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 7 says, love is patient and kind. So, Husbands, would your wives define your love as patient and kind? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. There right there is the biggest issue in most every single marriage. Hear me on this right now. That is the biggest issue. You insist on your own way. You want your way because you think your way is the best way and you're right. It's interesting. It doesn't say it does insist on its own way. Instead, it says it does not. It is not irritable or resentful. We'll just skip over that one because guys aren't like that, okay? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You know, it's interesting about the rejoice at wrongdoing. A lot of times, um, the, the statement, I told you so, can be steeped in that of rejoicing. I told you that would happen. And maybe you're not like dancing, being like, I was right, although some of you may be doing that in your heart, right? But just to point out, I told you so, you know how much shame is in that statement? I've yet, to, I've yet to experience that from Christ where he's like, I told you so, Brad. Take that, punk. But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Endures all things. And then we usually add this one in there. Love doesn't intentionally lead someone. We just kind of like to throw that in. As husbands, let me just say that. We, we, we assume leading your wife is going to happen just accidentally. So obviously the most loving thing we can do is just Wait for it to happen. Again, I, I can't, what just destroys that mentality is Christ and his intentionality with us. He steps into this relationship with us at our worst and then patiently, kindly, sometimes difficultly, strips away, cuts away the things that don't look like him and makes us more and more like his son, makes him more and more like Jesus Christ. Husbands, that's, that's your role. You're not to take the place of Christ in your wife, but that is your role as a husband to be impatiently working and leading and loving and encouraging your spouse. Divine love doesn't just condemn wrong in those loved, but seeks to cleanse them from it. Like Jesus had every right to just condemn the wrong in us, but instead he, he sought to cleanse us from it. So the expectation as a husband is that we are to love our wives 
Well, love encompasses a number of things, but specifically sacrificial, dying to yourself. We, we talked about this scripture last week, and we, we went to it for, for the women in First Peter 3. But just like I love in almost all scripture, whenever you hear about a husband, you usually hear about a wife or vice versa in all of scripture. I don't usually just talk to one of them. Well, figure this out, wives, and good luck. There's always a, hey, this is what we expect the word says for the wives, and this is what the word says for the husband. So in 1 Peter 3, we see the scripture. It says, likewise, this is just after, essentially, the apostle Peter has, has, has pleaded with wives to, to, to show how their gentleness and their quietness and their, their humility can win their husband over, whether he believes in Jesus or not, but ultimately still showing that that submission is a beautiful, God-given thing, not some accident. He goes on and says, likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way. You know what that understanding way means? It means according to knowledge. Live with your wives according to knowledge. An understanding way isn't just be, oh, well, I understand, honey. It's like, no, knowledge. I have knowledge of who you are. I know you. You know me. We, we know what God's will is for us. Live with your wife in that knowledge. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So this, this honor with them as a weaker vessel. This scripture, by the way, you can pretty much see people love to think, oh, weaker women, uh-oh, be careful, right? This is actually just talking about physical bodies. That's literally what he's talking about here. And I understand that there are some women here that probably bench press more than me. I, I'm not even going to argue that, okay? Like I, I get it. With CrossFit now, it's like I'm a wuss compared to all the women out there, right? So I get, I get that there are anomalies, but the reality is the bone structure, the makeup, uh, predominantly the majority of women are more small than men, more petite in that way. They are, they are weaker physically, not mentally, not in their value. This isn't a value issue. This is him just saying, look, she is, she is meant to be nourished and cherished and protected and provided for, initiating into leadership. This is what you're supposed to do as a husband. You honor her. How do you honor her? You honor her as the weaker vessel. That's what he's saying here. He says you honor her specifically recognizing that she is weaker than you, physically weaker than you. This is why physical abuse is such a gross affront, especially in the marriage. It's gross anywhere. How, how dare husbands raise their hand at a wife? How dare you do that? But you honor them because they're weaker. But here's, here's the most beautiful part of this. But what's the other compelling reason for honoring in that scripture? What do we see in there? Showing honor women as a weaker vessel. Since what? Since they are co-heirs there's not a value issue they're not they're not less than we honor wives as co-heirs with us in christ's kingdom they are they are even with us in value before god he has distinctive roles which is beautiful in line with the way that god has always had it designed even since the beginning which we'll talk about in two weeks they're, they're, they're equal here you know what's interesting about this is people want to make the cultural statement what the apostle paul is saying and what the apostle peter here is saying is so so different what most every single Jewish person in the first century would have heard. Like, wait, 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 wait. You're saying that I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to be in like some kind of domineering, heavy-handed, oppressive way like our fathers and grandfathers have done? You're telling me that I'm supposed to love, love my wife this way? This is weird. Like what, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying in the scripture is not cultural. In fact, it's countercultural. He's calling them to a higher standard. and saying, look, you can't just treat a woman as if they're some second-class citizen you can't treat your wife this way, especially now. Let me just go ahead and lift the game up a little bit. You're supposed to treat your wife the way Jesus treats you. So the expectations are so heavy, so big. We are to provide, protect. We're supposed to include leadership 
an initiative. Now, my bet is that this goes wrong for some of us, right? Have anyone ever noticed that that, that happens? Like, oops. So I want to talk about that for a second. Husbands, let me, let me just lay out some of the ways in which we fail at loving our wives this way. And I want single dudes, I want you to pay attention to this. Because your assumption is that you'll have it figured out by the time you're married. But if you're not intentional, it's not going to happen. If you're not submitted to the Lord, it's not going to happen. Let me just say this very clearly. If you are in here and you're trying to love your wife and you're maybe doing a good job, you're muscling through it if you're not submitted to the Lord. You are going to utterly fail her. And it's going to leave you in a very, very difficult spot because you're going to be like, why? I do love her. Because you're relying on your own strength. And your strength, will, your, 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 your strength is an exhaustible resource. You'll run out. So this goes wrong in a number of ways. Husbands, we usually, uh, we usually love to do this. I will lead her when she'll start submitting to me. Okay, so let me just play that one out. We talked about this last week. We said where wives, maybe Debbie brought this up and said wives, maybe say, well, I'll submit to him once he starts leading. I'll, I'll follow his leadership if he actually starts leading something because if he doesn't do it, I have to do it. And we think that that's some kind of holy step in it is what wives do. Well, husbands, it's the same thing. Well, every time I try and lead her, she just, you know, hits me in the baseball bat and then in the kneecaps. One is she, she may be doing that, but it still doesn't mean that you skirt your option here. But two is you might just be oversensitive to her asking questions because of your own insecurities. So you, you don't get to wait on this. You, when you ask a wife to marry you, those of you that are married or those of you that are engaged, what you're committing yourself to is this. This isn't optional. I'm going to step into this marriage relationship as head, and I'm going to provide and protect and love and cherish, and nourish, and lead, and point them to the, the, the work of what Jesus Christ is doing, so that at the end of their life, they can look wrinkle-free and, and spot-free, holy and blameless, like they've been identified as children of God. So you don't get a, some of you, like, you're getting ready to get married, you need to understand, that's what you're signing up for. It's not just the, oh, we get to have sex, and ooh, it's kind of fun because we like each other, or oh, hey, I just want someone to do life with me because I can't keep friends, or you know, whatever it may be. Like, it's not any of those other things. The reality is, 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 is what you're calling yourself to, what you're committing yourself to, is to lead and love her like Christ leads and loves the church. Here's, here's the other issue. Husbands, some of you husbands, this is where it goes wrong. Some of you husbands actually don't like the church. Let me just say it that way. You, you hide it behind, well, I'm just introverted. Okay, you may be, and that's true. You just don't like the church at all. You don't like the bride of Christ. What makes you think if you have an unhealthy view of the bride of Christ, you're going to have a healthy view of your bride? Those don't, those don't work as well. Now, let me get, let me get to say this straight. The church, she's a mess. And so is your bride, okay? We're all a mess in working this. And some of your disdain for the church because, well, it's not doing it this way or just don't really get much out of it. I don't like that singing stuff or whatever it may be. Whatever you're, you're doing to, to, to distance yourself from, from the community, which is accountability, which is, by the way, what Jesus went to the cross for was this church. He saves us not individually. He saves us individually and together. We're going to get into that in Ephesians 6. I cannot wait. But our choices as a community affect everyone, whether they are sinful or whether they are what God is calling us to do. So husbands, some of your issues is that you just don't like the church. You don't like the bride. Of Christ, and so you're assuming that it's okay to not like the bride of Christ, but you'll like your bride. I'm telling you, you cannot compartmentalize it like that. It will fall apart. Another one is, is, is insecurities. Let me just say this really quickly. Wives and, and single ladies out here, men are insecure, okay? They usually, they usually play it out in some domineering way, super macho man, or they play it out in some passive-aggressive way, or they just play it out in, can you just encourage me a little bit more, please? Men are insecure, and so a lot of times the reason why we don't lead is because we're, we're, we're afraid we'll mess up. We're, we're afraid we'll mess up. 
we allow our fear of what? Some kind of failure get in the way of our fear of the Lord. We allow that fear to dictate how we treat our, our wives. That's why I think it's, it's interesting that this section began with submit to one another out of fear of the Lord, out of reverence for the Lord. Like you are, are going to mess up, husbands. I mess up on a regular basis. It is the grace of God that, that compels me to continue to move forward. It's trusting that my, I am not defined by my mess-ups. Wives, there's a, there's a really healthy thing you can do when a husband messes up. It's not a good time to like keep adding salt to that. Ah, I told you you'd mess up. I knew you'd do it. You always mess up. I'm tired of this. You always do that. Do you, like, just, just hear that statement. You always fail me. Say that to an insecure person. Guess what it does? It doesn't make them go, watch me stand up. It makes them shrink way back. So husbands, your insecurities is an issue because you're not recognizing who you are in light of who Christ is in the first three chapters of Ephesians. When we, when we move forward in insecurity, man, we're just, we're just walking out an identity that is not true of who we are in Christ. Another way that this falls apart is laziness. Oh, man, like, don't get me started on this. Like, I have, fortunately, we were poor enough and I'm old enough that, like, video games kind of just passed us up at my house. This whole, like, generation, I'm going to pick on millennials because I'm just outside of them by, like, a year and a half. Whew. This whole, this whole like, laziness thing, this whole, like, boys that don't really grow up and don't really become men. I'm not talking about the band, okay? But, like, the, the, these boys that just keep perpetuating this laziness. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, it, is, it, is, it, is not, it does not go away when you get a career and have a wife. In fact, you know what happens? You work really hard in your career and you get really lazy for your wife. It just, it just kind of moves that way. And you just get stuck in front of a screen. You're just lazy. A lot of the reason why wives aren't being loved like Christ loved the church or being led the way that he's calling them to is because we're just flat lazy. And let me get it. You guys, you guys are tired, right? You're exhausted. You come home, you're like, oh, this is a long day, honey. I just need to, I just need to comp- decompress. Look, I'm not going to engage in the battle of whose job is harder, you know, the mom with kids or the, the job at work. I bet they're both really, really hard at times. And they both bring about immense joy at times. But the reality is this, is that when you bring your second best to your bride, all you're saying is that she's not worthy. You're saying that the woman that you stood ear to ear grinned at when she walked down perfect in that spot. It's like, well, you're just not that perfect. So I'd rather sit on the couch. I'd rather just watch Netflix with you instead of actually figuring out how to love you. Laziness. Laziness is what is, what is, is defeating it. Guys, like, let, me, let me say this. Some of you, you need, to, you need to recognize this and acknowledge this. And figure out what God can do to, to, to desire, to draw out in you a less lazy spirit. Another way that this comes out is domineering. Husbands, you demand from your wives. Well, I'm the head. Dang it. What I say goes. Let me just say this. I, I make joke in that. Domineering is an affront to what Jesus Christ did for us. He had every right to push his thumb down on us and say, this is what you guys deserve. But instead of pushing his thumb on us, he looked at us in our broken spot and he walked to that cross and hung for us. How dare we step in this domineering role? And let me just say it this way. Some of you, the reason why you're domineering is because you're insecure. It's what you saw in the past. This goes wrong when we say, this is the way it is. It's my way or the highway, woman. This is just not leadership. Some of our issue is, is that we, we have a really, really, and I don't have time to go into, a really, really poor view of leadership. Maybe just, just do this. Just husbands do this. Spend this week looking at what leadership looks like in the life of Christ when he was on earth. Just do that. It's a perfect model of what leadership looks like. 
Husbands, another way that this goes wrong is we compare ourselves to other, or worse, we compare our wives to other wives. Gosh, that's an ugly one. If you would just do like she does, as if we know what's really going on behind the curtain in that family. Okay, I skipped a, a section of First Peter, and I have to go there. There are so many ways in which we fall short in this, right? But First Peter 3, 3.7, uh, if you can put it up there again for me, Karen, thank you, says at the very, you, you of the grace of life, since they're heirs of your grace, so that, this is two husbands, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Have you ever read that? That really got me thinking this last week, like, okay, wait a second now. I, I don't really know how that plays out. But in some way, the way that I don't honor my wife, when I don't show her honor as the weaker vessel, when I don't provide and protect and love and lead her the way that I'm called biblically, my prayers are hindered. There's a nice list. There's, I didn't have time to get all of them, but here's, here's a short list of ways that our prayers are hindered biblically. James 4.3, selfishness. Proverbs 28.9, turning away from Scripture. Mark 11.25, unforgiving heart. Psalm 66.18, unconfessed sin. 1 Peter 3.12, just straight sin. <laughs> 1 Peter 4.7, being self-controlled and sober-minded, or not being self-controlled or sober-minded. And then what makes this list? Husbands, when you don't honor your wives. Now, I don't really understand how this plays out. I didn't have enough time for that. But there's a way in which we can operate in our lives that our very communion with God, our communication with God can be hindered because of what's happening. So, so, so what are the consequences to us as husbands failing this? Well, one is we're, we're disobeying God. And I, I, I don't know if it's just because of the current climate of life or because of the conversations I'm having. I, I need to say this very clearly. Disobeying God is not fun or a good thing. Disobeying God is not like, well, you know, we all do it, so we just, you know, I only disobeyed a little bit this week. Disobedience to God is actually the opposite of what he's going for. I just want to make sure that's clear. Everyone knows, like, obedience to him is what he's actually calling you for, calling you to. He's calling you to obedience. In fact, he doesn't just call you. He gives you the way to do it through his spirit. So when we don't love our wives like Christ loves the church, when we domineer, when we step insecure, when we choose not to lead, we are disobeying God. Another thing we're doing is we're living by the flesh. We see that in Scripture. We're living by the flesh, not the spirit. And just in case you're wondering, the flesh leads to death, spirit life. And then the third way we get this opportunity of hindered prayers. Let me just say it this way. Maybe, maybe you as spouses right now, you're not spending much time praying together. That's another issue, okay? But a lot of the prayers you're having are hindered because in your marriage there's unconfessed sin. In your marriage, there's unforgiveness. And maybe you wouldn't say there's unforgiveness, but the next time that he does or the next time she does, it's like, see, you did it again. Did you really forgive him? The disposition of sacrificing love is intentional and not just giving up. Christ gave us a mission. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just say good luck as a church. He loves the church and he gives us mission. Husbands, you need to lead your wives in this way. It's your, it's your job to lead your wives. Wives, this doesn't mean that you don't pursue the Lord on your own. That would be a, an affront to the gospel as well. But it's, it's, it's husband's role. It's husband's command to step into this role and say, I want to do this. Wives, you gotta be patient with them. There's a, there's a few ways you can help. Wives, you can, you can be patient. You can... Um, encourage. A lot of times I think wives don't understand how much strength they have for the husbands. Just encouraging them makes a huge difference. You can uh, be really, really patient. And let me say it this way. Some of you right now, you're like, I don't know. Man, I've been really patient. We've been married six years. Trust me, there's more years of patience left. I don't know how you guys feel, but hear me on this, man. If you're married, this isn't optional. You don't get out of this one. You don't get a pass. It doesn't mean you get to like, oh, okay, 
I don't have to do this the whole marriage. No, like your entire marriage, this is what you're called to do. It's the long game. It's not just the short game. And my assumption is, I, I don't know, it can kind of feel daunting, right? Any husbands in here feel like this is a daunting task? Show of hands. None? Okay, good. Only a few of us. Good. rest of you guys got it figured out. That's awesome. Here's the reality. You're in good company if this feels daunting. Think about it this way. I, I, I don't have time to go into it, but there are so many lives in here in this scripture where there was this daunting, impossible task set before man, and God showed up. In fact, when Jesus was talking about salvation, and he talked about the rich getting in there and, and basically said it's easier for the, the, uh, you know, the, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into to heaven, the disciples were like, what? Like, man, it's impossible then. And Jesus says the most brilliant and beautiful words, and husbands, I want you to hear this. You need to hear this. Please, like, look me in the eyes, okay? He says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We need, to, we need to believe that as husbands. Not just in feeling shame, because let me, let me tell you right now, that's not what God wants in where you haven't loved or led. But instead saying, you know what? It may seem impossible with all things God's, with all, God, with all things are possible with God. He is capable of doing anything. And so submit yourselves to him. And let me, let me tell you right now, like you, some of you are like, well, I just need to be less lazy. Okay, well then just start doing that. I just, I need, to, I need to speak more gently to my wife. Well, then just start doing it. You don't need to sit down. Okay, honey, so uh, I'm going to try and be really, stop interrupting me. I'm going to be really gentle with you for now, right? Like, <laughs> the reality is you just need to step in the spirit and let him lead you. You need, to, you, need to, you need to trust that his desire and his will and his ways are more perfect than yours and that you are, you are his child. And his desire for your marriage isn't to just have you guys get to the end and be like, Phew, we made it. We survived without killing each other. There was a time in there I was a little bit worried about what you made for me to eat. But either way, like, like you, that's not the goal. I've never stood up at a wedding and said, I just hope to make it to the end. That's my vow to you, honey. No, no one ever says that. They say, I love you. I will love you for the rest of my life, and I will give everything for you. I will continue to, com- to, to show you what you truly deserve, which is here's the reality. You know what your wife deserves as your wife? To be loved like Christ loves the church. She deserves nothing less of that the band's going to come up and we're going to we're going to worship some more maybe we just need to be reminded of the father that for some of us as wives or husbands in this situation maybe we just need to be reminded of the father that brings the boy that was demon possessed to jesus because the 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 disciples couldn't actually get the the demon to be out of him and so so he comes the father comes to jesus and like jesus I, I, I tried to bring it to the disciples but they, they couldn't do it, and this demon is in this boy, and it keeps pushing him into the, into the fire, and it keeps going over and over and over again, and he just, it's, it's like taking his life. And Jesus says, oh, how long? Like almost in a frustrated state, how long am I going to have to be with you people? And then the father says, God, if you, Jesus, if you can. He says, if I can, I can do anything. And the father says the most beautiful word. The father and the son says it, says it, they say it together. We believe, but help our unbelief. And maybe you as wives in here, you need to actually say that. I believe that my husband can lead me. Jesus, help me in my unbelief. And maybe husbands, you need to believe the fact that like, I've tried to lead, but my wife always squashes me down. That's, that's, that's a fear or a struggle in her. Believe and ask God to help you with your unbelief. Let me pray, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your work in us. I thank you for the husbands that are here. And I thank you for the future husbands that are hearing this. Father, I pray that you would, um, I pray that you would uh, redeem uh, a, an aspect in every single one of us that are husbands that is not living out in a way that is providing or protecting or leading or loving our wives like Jesus Christ loves the church. 
God, forgive us for our shortcomings. Forgive us for our failures in that. And we pray that your spirit would continue to fill us, fill us, that he would fill us in a mighty way so that we truly can not only say we submit to you, God, but submit to you and then live in light of that with the disposition of joy, for the joy set before you endured the cross. It wasn't some shameful thing or sad thing you did. It was the joy that was set before you. And so as husbands, God, I pray that we would be joyfully leading our wives, joyfully loving them like you love the church. And God, for the areas where they're, they're not, where that's not happening, God, I pray that you break in. I pray that there wouldn't be shame on husbands. I pray that the wife wouldn't put shame on them. I pray even as it's been a week since we talked about what the wife's role is in this, God, I pray for amazing work in their hearts as well. God, the, the reality is it's, it's, it's a great, great cost if this goes wrong. And we'll get there. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. But God, you designed your marriage covenant relationship between a husband and a wife to be an absolutely perfect and beautiful picture of what Christ is to the church. So the stakes are high. So may we not take it flippantly or lightly, God. May we not be complacent in our laziness or our lack of leadership. God, where we are insecure, would you break in and instill confidence in us? Father, where we're fighting over and over and over again because of our own selfishness, God, would you bring us to a spot of true, true selflessness? Father, forgive us for, for forgetting the, the Spirit and what the fruit of the Spirit means. Forgive us for moving so awkwardly through life as if we have everything under control, God. And forgive us for pushing our own agendas into the situation. And God, I pray for, for the couples in this room right now, I pray for blessing. I pray for a strengthening. I pray for a, um, I pray for a softer ears and a softer voice in communication. And I pray, God, that every single individual would, uh, would just be able to see not just in their own family unit, but what it does for this world when marriages live inside the roles you've designed. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.